Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast. Podcast hosted by two childhood best friends dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Kate, a writer, a midwife, a current day pop culture know-nothing, but nobody puts baby in a corner when it comes to the pop culture of my youth. And I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's still not over how my so-called life left us hanging. Today, we're talking about an album near and dear to our, and especially my, eighth grade hearts, Skid Row's 1989 self-titled debut album. We'll also be talking about all the... feelings Sebastian Bach's low-rise leather pants and high cheekbones gave us while revisiting the music videos of the singles from this anthem-rich album. Hey, Kate. Hey, Lori. So I'm so excited today to talk about Skid Row and particularly Sebastian Bach. I am excited as well. This sort of has been out of my mind for the last 30-ish years. Well, I feel really sorry for you because I actually think about this band kind of often. I did actually once I was doing laundry in a laundromat in Madison, Wisconsin, and 18 and Life came on the radio and I was like, oh, oh yeah. You know, it really is a weird thing. I was at the post office not long ago and they were playing Soundgarden at the post office. So it's really weird when you reach the age where this music that was once considered so sort of like heavy or outside of like maybe what our parents would listen to is popping up at grocery stores and post offices and laundromats. It's a weird, weird thing. And on the classic rock station. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, we could, <laughs> we could talk about that all day long. They play the best music from my youth. <laughs> so yeah. So it was really fun to revisit this album because Bon Jovi Skid Row was the very first concert that I ever went to. Oh, that's a good one. It is, especially because in our era, it was very common that the first concert anybody went to was New Kids on the Block. And I was thinking about how was it that I was allowed to go to that? Because I was quite young, but my brother, who uh, at the time was two years older than me, who is still (laughs) two years older than me, because that's how aging works. You were always so good with math, Katie. I, I was. And so my brother and I, we had a friend, we were in like a grief group uh, after our mom passed away. And so there was a young woman in that, that, that was a little older than us and actually like an adult. And so she went along with us and the three of us went to this concert. And I assume that's why my parents were okay with it. Because responsible adults. I mean, as long, they didn't want to go. Right. They weren't going to go see Bon Jovi and Skid Row. And to be fair, my stepmom was like newer to our lives at this moment. And I think though later on, she cared nothing about scoring any points. I think at this time she was still trying to score points. And so I think she was like, sure, let them go. Or she was like, get them out of my hair, let them go. I don't know. Either way, I got to go. That's so cool. I didn't go to my first concert till I was 17. So that would have been a very cool thing to be able to do. It was. So this is how I ended up um, in the lawn seats of Irvine Meadows, which is now... Not called Irvine Meadows. Yeah, no. Something else. At my very first rock and roll concert. And it was amazing. And I 
I'm pretty sure that I thought I was the coolest person ever when I came to school the next day with my Bon Jovi t-shirt. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. You know, what's really funny about this. You're talking about Bon Jovi, but Dave Sabo, who was a member of Skid Row, like one of the founding members of Skid Row, was childhood friends with Bon Jovi. And they made a pact when they were kids, like seven years old, that they were going to grow up and be rock stars. And guess what? They did. They did. And what's so interesting is that I didn't know about this connection until quite recently. And I always thought it was weird that Bon Jovi and Skid Row were playing together because like Bon Jovi, they were kind of like the good boys of like the rock and roll hair bands, right? Mm -hmm. Like they didn't get in quite as much trouble. And then we had like Skid Row headed by Sebastian Bach, who was super controversial and their music was a little edgier. And I always thought it was a really weird combination for the two of them to play together. But now, of course, it makes perfect sense because part of their pact was whoever made it first would help the other one out. And of course, John Bon Jovi and his band made it first. And then they they did help out. I love that. And that takes me back to, did we make a pact when we were seven years old that we were going to grow up and host a podcast? No. Did we make a pact that we were going to do anything cool? I don't think so. I mean, I think we made a pact that we would stay best friends forever. And so far we're doing it. So like, yay on us. And we have the necklaces to prove it. We do. (laughs) Still, we have them. You have the best and I have the friend. Yep, it's true. After all these years, how old were we when we got those? We were young. We must have been like seven, eight. That's so cute. We're so cute. Uh, You guys listening might not know this, but I have moved something like 27 times in 28 years or something. Not even... An exaggeration. I wish that was an exaggeration. It is actually not. That is probably the number. And yet I have taken that with me everywhere I have gone and I still have it. But you're not wearing it. So I know where I stand. No, because it's gold. And uh, as I grew up, I became much more. Who are we kidding? That is not real gold. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it looks gold. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not gold, but this album went five times platinum. It was huge. It was released on January 24th, 1989 to mixed reviews, which is kind of crazy to me because there were three singles on this album that are still amazing today. They're still in my rotation. 18 in Life, Youth Gone Wild, and I Remember You. All amazing, iconic songs. Definitely. Yeah, they're great songs and they really, they hold up. So many of the things that we've revisited were like, "Mm, I don't know. (laughs) These and Sebastian Bach, like it all holds up. It does. So my introduction to Skid Row, I've talked about this on every episode we've done so far. I went to a Christian school and I moved to public school in the seventh grade. And I remember being in the PE locker room, actually the bathrooms inside where the locker room was. And Mm -hmm. I saw on the bathroom wall, I love Sebastian Bach. (laughs) So it's just so weird because I grew up taking piano lessons from the time I was a little kid, like four years old. My mom was a piano teacher. Her mom was my piano teacher. Exactly. She was everybody's piano teacher. And we had a lot of classical music playing in the house all the time. And my mom used to play it all the time. And when I saw I love Sebastian Bach, I actually thought that they were talking about Bach, like, like Johan. Yes. I didn't even know his first name. I didn't know his first name. So it might as well have been Sebastian in my mind. And I was like, what? That's kind of weird. And I remember asking you like, is 
Sebastian, what? Like, huh? And then you told me about them and I saw a picture of them or of him rather. And I just, oh my God, that man did something to me. He is a beautiful man. I mean, seriously beautiful. Like those cheekbones. I just cannot. All of his feet. Like he has a really nice nose. His lips are really nice. His cheekbones, his hair. His jawline. He has like this little teeny tiny butt chin, like a little dimple in the chin, like the genetic jackpot. He had the voice. He was edgy. He was sexy. And he was just so beautiful to look at. Dare I say all these years later, because I haven't seen the videos in years. Like I listen to the music kind of regularly, but I haven't seen the videos. Oh my God. It worked for me. It was still working for me. This is what I thought was interesting is that when I've watched some other things and I've seen people and been like, oh, they're wow. They're like little babies when I watch this. And like, that's creepy that I used to be into them, but like, not so with him. Like, I'm just like, he's lovely. And I don't feel any like remorse or uncomfortableness (laughs) (laughs) with the fact that I think that even though he, he, I mean, he had to have been like 19 or 20 in those videos. Well, yeah, he joined the band when he was 19 and the band was already established. They were just looking for a singer. You know, I don't know that they were much older than him, the established band members, Rachel Bullen and Dave Sabo, but I think they were a little more mature. He was kind of a wild card when he joined them. And I do think that he had the look and he had the talent that kind of catapulted their debut album into pure superstardom, but he didn't write the music. I mean, he was just the front man but a sexy front man (laughs) it was the combination of like his vocal skills having the right look and then their musical writing ability which I have to say I as we go through the songs like I pulled out some lines there are some poetic lines in these songs oh some real like lyricist right chops here yeah so So, do you want to get into it let's start with 18 in life okay okay an epic power ballad with a message (laughs) Yes, kids. Very important (laughs) message. (laughs) Let's talk about Ricky and his heart of stone. Yes. Well, can we talk about the intro first? Because first of all, I have to say, like, I feel like their musical intros are pretty good. Like they're catchy. You're like, oh, I'm interested in this song. But then in this song in particular, there's that like long exhale that happens in the intro. Yes, you're right. Yeah. And it just kind of, you're like, oh, I'm about to hear something important. (laughs) Important. The video opens on prisoners behind bars smoking and we see Ricky and we're about to learn his hard knock life story. We're panning to Sebastian Bach in the meantime and damn, he's looking fine as hell. He really is. Yep. Yeah. I actually have in my notes, he was young and yet I don't feel like a creepy old woman (laughs) appreciating his youthful beauty. (laughs) And my notes simply say fine as hell. (laughs) right I'm like Sebastian is so pretty the hair the cheekbones (laughs) just doesn't stop so yeah okay so we start to learn about Ricky's home life and Katie things aren't good no gets into an argument with his dad who's wearing a tank top and that's really all we need to know right because (laughs) any dad wearing a tank top there's going to be some trouble there's some beer involved Yeah, we've learned that kind of tank top equals trouble. Right. Like it just tells us that he likes to drink and and maybe have some problematic behavior. So Ricky and his dad get into it and they're pushing each other. And the dad pushes them through the glass on their front door, like through the glass. That is one hard push. 
It is. And I mean, think of the harm that could have come to him. Any one of those glass shards could have just gone sideways and that would have been that, although that might've worked out to his friend's benefit. Indeed. So cutting across back and forth between the band and the scene with Ricky and his dad, there's a lot of whipping hair in the band shots. Lots of hair. I mean, the hair bands, that was their thing. Like, and you know what I was thinking is that it's so funny because I mean, these guys were cool back then, like, and all of the hair bands, right? Like Motley Crue and all of them. But now when you look at it, you're like, it's actually, it's, it's a little silly. Like, I come to it more from the point of view of your hair looks kind of dry. I think you need a trim. Some of them did. Yes. Yeah. I'm really looking at like the quality of the hair that I'm looking at whipping in the air. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Did you catch like the guy's jeans that had a face on them? I did did see that. It it just flashes really quickly. I have no idea whose face it is, but I was like, what is, what's going on? (laughs) Huh? I, did you catch either the bass player or guitar player with the nose ring with the chain that went to the earring and he wore it in two videos. This was not like, Oh, I made a style choice that I regret later. It was, I made a style choice and this is who I am. This was a thing back then. Do you not remember that? I don't remember that. that. When I saw it in the video, it, made me uncomfortable. And I thought with all that hair and trying to like get it out of your face sometimes, how often is he pulling on that chain between his nose and his ear? Well, and that's the thing, right? That there's that risk of that, but it was definitely a trend. And then I, a a few years later, when I was like a 16 year old high school girl, I had a pretty big crush on one of my brother's older friends. And he had a nose ring with a chain to a nipple ring. Now that's even more dangerous. Right? Can you imagine (laughs) that went badly? My brother got his nipple pierced. This was years later. I did not know that he did. He went through a real piercing phase because I think it was because my parents said you absolutely cannot get a tattoo. And so he was like, well, if I can't get a tattoo, I'm just going to pierce everything. So did he do it himself? No. Oh God, no. But I just remember him saying that was the most painful thing I've ever had done. So I can't imagine having a chain from your nose to your nipple, what pulling on that might do or feel like, and the risk is great. Right. That's, that's some real danger right there. Right. So Ricky ends up thrown through the front glass door and he's so pissed and he's over it and he stands up and he salutes the house, like in a big F you move. And he leaves as if to say, I am never, ever, ever coming back, which really I can't blame Ricky. Ricky had a hard life. Hence his heart of stone. So we see him on the streets. He's drinking. There's lots of leather. I wrote leather, hair, and flannel. So that was basically. (laughs) I mean, that was the early night, like late 80s, early 90s. Right. You know, he's a kid on the streets now. He walked the streets a soldier and he fought the world alone. He wasn't actually alone. He (laughs) did have his friend with him. But yeah, I'll give him that. He felt alone in his heart. That's fair. So there's a lot of like alley work. There are a lot of alley type locations. There's cars burning. And Ricky and his little runaway friend are are drinking beer. So there's a lot of alcohol. There is. And in fact, he had tequila in his heartbeat. His veins burned gasoline. Is that what that lyric is? Yeah. (laughs) What did you think it said? (laughs) I actually don't know. I think that's just one of those lyrics that I just kind of mumbled That you just threw away. Yeah. 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 Tequila in his heartbeat. His veins burned gasoline. It kept his motor Motor running. running, But but it it never never kept kept him him clean. clean. It really didn't. 
Ricky then breaks into his own house. Did you catch that? Oh, it's his own house. It is his own house. And I'll tell you how I, at first I didn't know. Was the door boarded up? They show him breaking through a window. Right. So it's his own house because he goes to the nightstand, which we need to talk about this. He opens the drawer in the nightstand. Now, okay, nightstands. We could do an entire episode on the contents of people's nightstands. However, he opens the nightstand and in it, there's a gun, a holy Bible. Oh. And did you catch the other thing? No, all I focused on was the gun. There's a gun, a holy Bible. And I don't even want to say it because it just makes me feel gross. A sock. Wait, just one sock? That's what it looked like to me. Like a tube sock? Mm Mm-hmm. Ew, that's a, that's, a, that, that's a level of detail I didn't need. <laughs> and also that I missed. So, so, <laughs> okay, so I, I don't want to say I saw it on the first pass. I saw him pull a gun out of the drawer. I saw it pan to a photograph, which I didn't really focus on. And then I thought, wait, was that Ricky's own house? Is that photograph of him? So I went back to watch it again. And this time I was paying very close attention, laser focus, and I noticed the tube sock, which made me feel yucky inside. And then, Very uncomfortable. Yeah, it was not pleasant. And then I panned to the photograph of Ricky and his dad. So I'm thinking that was Ricky's dad's night, what, what's that thing called? Night, nightstand. Nightstand. Like night, night table, table. nightstand. <laughs> I was going to call it a night table. I think either <laughs> is appropriate. Oh, okay. Well, it was his, it was Ricky's dad's night table with a photograph of the two of them on it. I see. Wow. Ricky and his friend are now shooting bottles of booze and Ricky's like super into his gun and he likes to screw around with the gun. He married trouble. He had a courtship, <laughs> a courtship with, with a gun. gun. He liked that gun. He did like that gun in the waistband of his pants, which just seems so dangerous. Like, let's not do that. Just makes you nervous. It does. It made me nervous. So he and his friend are like drunk or high or whatever they're doing on the streets. And he's screwing around with the gun. He points it at his friend and his friend gets pissed and pushes it away. Like, this isn't fun. We don't play with guns. You know better than that. True fact of my childhood. We were not allowed to have toy guns in my house. Not allowed to ever point a gun at a person, even if it was a finger gun that you just Mm. were playing pretend with. We had very strict rules, but there was a neighborhood boy who lived, did he live next door to you? I think he did. Yes. And he had all the toy guns, like all of them, including the cap guns that like made the bang bang sound. I remember that. Yeah. So I definitely like quietly played with toy guns when I was a kid, but I have to say I was annoyed by it as a child, but I I do support my mom in that regard now. I have two boys and we have always had an extensive Nerf arsenal. Were you allowed to pretend to smoke the candy cigarettes? Because I lived for those. Now, did you like the mint ones or the bubblegum ones? I like the bubblegum ones. And when you got a fresh pack, <laughs> you could you could blow on them. And they had powder and smoke would, and come, smoke out. would yeah. come out. And it was just like so cool. We felt very mature. Right. That's so <laughs> <Inappropriate>. disturbing. 
And they would have like real names of cigarettes. Oh, yeah. No, it was a thing. I mean, if you think like Joe the Camel is bad in terms of advertising to kids, like here, just have some pretend cigarettes until you're old enough to have the real ones. We thought we were very sophisticated when we had them. Oh, yeah. We we used them as props for a long time before we would eat them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you didn't just snack on them. Oh, no. You fake smoked. (laughs) This is a whole role playing situation. Right. So back to 18 and life. Right. <laughs> so we just keep seeing Ricky back in a cell alone. And then we see Ricky and his friend shooting bottles and drinking. And we know that guns and booze don't mix, right? Right. They start pushing each other because I guess they're just both kind of drunk and aggressive. They're maybe angry drunks. And Ricky points a gun at him and the friend's like, what are you going to do? Shoot me? Go ahead. Do it. And so Ricky does. Accidents will happen. They all heard Ricky say. It wasn't actually an accident. I mean, it wasn't like the gun went off and he was like, oops. So my memory of the song and video was not great. So I, I like I was watching it and I was like, wait, did he just kill his friend on purpose? Like what just happened? But I did discover that the song was inspired by a story of someone, I think in Texas, a young man who killed his friend by accident by pointing a gun at him that he thought was not loaded and pulling the trigger. So I think that that was the idea. But they were just shooting bottles. So there were clearly bullets in the gun. But maybe he thought that he had used them all because they were drunk. And I mean, and he did say accidents will happen. They all heard Ricky say that child blew a child away. But I mean, on a serious note, like I feel like every gun accident is somebody thought like, oh, I thought it wasn't loaded. Like, let's just all assume that any gun everywhere at any time is loaded, (laughs) like until proven otherwise. It is weird because he doesn't look like he's like, oh no, what did I just do? He's just kind of like, oh well. Oops. So interesting thing for whatever reason I got curious about who this young man was that played Ricky oh okay tell me so I did a little internet research and what I learned is that Ricky and his friend were both played by members of a band called Forgotten Child oh how fun if you would like to go on Facebook you can search Forgotten Child and there is like a fan page dedicated to them but Ricky was actually played by Patrick Kane and as it turns out in real life he was a little bit like Ricky he he lived hard And last that was updated by somebody is that he's actually homeless in Florida. Oh, that is so sad. Isn't it? Way to bring the podcast down, Katie. I know. Wow, that is sad. Isn't that sad? Wow. Well, did you happen to catch the performance of 18 and Life live at Wembley Stadium in 1991? That was Skid Row's last show on tour with Guns N' Roses. I did watch it. The most humorous part of all was the things that Sebastian Bach said before he would perform. He gets on stage. He's looking so fine. And he just shouts to the crowd. It's like, 80 billion people in the crowd, right? Y'all are good enough to F today, man. And he performed so amazing live. Where it really mattered on those really climactic power notes, he sounded amazing. How was he when you saw him live? Like same energy all over the stage, sounded amazing. They were great. And like, they were just cool, you know, and had that like rock star kind of thing going on. And those low cut leather pants, 
I forgot that that was kind of a thing that like the more svelte rock star boys would do. There was a lot. I don't mean to be gross, but it was so in my face. I could not not notice a lot of sweat in the genital area. It looked like he peed his pants. I was like, did he pee his pants? Did he no, pull water? No, it was sweaty. On? I just think it was sweat. I don't know. When I work out, I get real sweaty everywhere. The way he was moving around stage, I'm quite sure it was sweat, but it was on those like brown suede pants. Right. It just showed like nothing else. Yeah. So this song actually ended up number four on the Billboard Top 100. So it it did very well. It actually performed the best out of all the singles on this album. Okay, so let's get into I Remember You, unless you have any other memories or thoughts about 18 in Life. Nope, I'm ready to go on. I Remember You, such a good song. So I had my first slow dance to this song. You did? I did. With whom? I don't want to say the name. Okay, you can like say things that I can it be able to figure it out. It was a boy in our neighborhood. He took the bus with us and he kind of looked like Dennis the Menace. Oh, okay. That oh, kid. really? That was your first slow dance? It was. How did I not know this? I don't know. Huh, was it at like a soccer? Yeah, it was at a sock mm-hmm. It's a beautiful song. It is a sweet song. The video is fairly depressing, but the song itself, it is like a love letter in the sand. <laughs> so I remember you hit the Billboard Top 100 at number six. And in the video, we open on a like kind of an acoustic video. Right, they're sesh, like in a warehouse. Right? Yeah. And we see the band and it's just like, you can tell we're already in for like a softer, more sensey, sensitive side of the band. It kind of reminded me a little bit, it's a little bit reminiscent of Guns N' Roses' Patience. It's just like, here, there's more to us than the hard, heavy rock. It was yeah. a ballad. It was a ballad. They, it was a power ballad. And they actually didn't want this song on the album because they didn't want to be a ballad band. They wanted to be harder than that. Yeah. And you know, their manager, Doc McGee. Doc McGee. Doc McGee heard the song and was like, oh yeah, that's freaking on the album. I'm sorry, band. I'm not here to have this argument with you. It's just too good. And he was right. Okay. So back to the power ballad at hand. We see some black and white photograph and we're like, who are these people? What, what is this song even about? We see a man walking and he's wearing a coat and a beanie and he's just, I guess he's in New York. Is this the vibe you're getting? Yeah. We then see he has dirty hands. And so this is, I think when we learn like, okay, this man is probably homeless. Right. He's fallen on hard times. And he's looking at pictures of a brunette woman and we see them in one of the pictures, like they're in an embrace. And I don't know, I was wondering if he was walking through a cemetery at one point and I was wondering oh is this woman in the photographs dead oh, or is this I a breakup that. song I don't know I actually went back and rewatched that too because I'm like is that a cemetery it looks like he walks by a grave although to be fair one of the lyrics in the song is all the tears you cry they call my name so that would suggest a breakup But it's not to say that they didn't take dramatic license with the video. Yeah, I don't know. So we see the man joining some other people around like a bonfire for warmth. And the camera pans to his hand at one point. He's wearing a wedding ring. Oh, see, Lori is like the detail person. Yeah, the devil's in the details, people. I'm the big picture. She's the detail girl. Yeah. So he has a wedding ring. And I'm like, this is really sad if he's a widower. And this is really sad if their marriage is just in the toilet. Like, did she 
take the house? Right. Did he lose his job? And then she didn't. Although she doesn't look like the kind of woman who would be like, you're down on your luck. I'm going to leave. And we know this from a photograph of her. (laughs) She looked very genuine. (laughs) And it's multiple photographs. She had kind eyes. She didn't look like she just wanted to take the house out from under him. No, no. I I think they had a great love story and I don't know what happened, but it was tragic. Yeah. I know this in my soul. And so I'm having like really conflicting feelings while I'm watching this video because I'm feeling really sad for this guy and the breakup slash death of his partner. And then they keep cutting to Sebastian Bach, like in prime form. And I'm like, so you're like, I'm so sad. I'm so turned on. Sam, you're beautiful. I'm so sad. I'm so sad. <laughs> Sam, you're beautiful. And I just like, he never looked better than he did in this video. Like, whew. he is just a lovely man. That's, that's really all that there is yeah. to it. So like, I'm, I'm drawn to the everything about Sebastian Bach in this video. And guess what, Katie? So is the man in black and white, the homeless man, because he is drawn to Sebastian Bach's voice of an angel. And he ends up standing outside like the warehouse where the band is playing and he looks in and he's clearly in pain. Yeah. And I think even he had a man crush for a moment and was like, man, that is one attractive man. Right. I, how could you not? How could you? I not? know. Like it's indisputable. His beauty. I know. I know. And then I made a really important note here that I need to talk about with you was that again, the band is wearing so many effing bracelets. It was a thing then. I think it's really interesting, like how those hair bands really took attributes that are sort of traditionally thought of as feminine and really embraced them, but like not with the idea that it was feminine. Not even necessarily with the idea that it was androgynous, like David Bowie, for example. No, they like, they kind of appropriated these. <laughs> like when you think of the Motley Crue poison warrant of it all, right? it was like hair and makeup and they weren't so big on the makeup like poison was. But mascara, like a lot of the guys oh, yeah. in like Motley Crue. guyliner. Stuff, yeah. yeah. But not in the sense of like the cure. Right? <laughs> like, no, that was so interesting. <laughs> yeah. So the man leaves and he just starts dropping photographs along the way, like a little Hansel and Gretel. And he finally tosses the rest of them into a fire. And it was sad. Like, I don't know. Has he just given up or he's letting go of the pain of this? Or what is the end story? What did we learn? I need some answers. What do you think happened? Yeah, I think he just gave up. It's a really sad video, but it's a lovely song. Like, and here is where like the poetry of the lyrics really shines. Like I paint a picture of the days gone by. Like that's a lovely line. I like it. And the song is beloved. Carrie Underwood has done a cover of this in concert. You can look for it on YouTube. It's actually really beautiful. Did you watch it? I did. And it is great. She makes it her own. Sebastian Bach himself is like, yeah, like she really did a great job. But I have to say, I mean, she has an amazing voice and she's very talented. And she still can't match his types on this song. He has an incredible voice. Yeah. So Nora Jones actually told Rolling Stone magazine that I Remember You has a really big place in her heart. And it reminds her of growing up. And she had a crush on a boy who loved metal. And she tried so hard to get into it. But like the most she could get out of it was like, yes, I'm a fan of the power ballad, which same girl. And so she made a mixtape with that song and it made her want to perform. It was like an important song in her life. It's kind of cool. So, so you just never know how something you do might affect other people. 
What's so funny is like, so this song, it feels like meaningful in my heart, right? I have the nostalgia of the song. I think, think it can be interpreted in many different ways. And when you see the performance of them doing this live at Wembley, the band just looks so stoned. <laughs> and then Sebastian Bach comes out before he sings the song and he shouts, I've got chills up my butt crack from the show tonight. And I'm like, let me launch into this beautiful song after I've told you about the chills in my butt crack. Right. After I've said that, that's lovely. I just couldn't get over. We've said it a million times, but I really think Sebastian Bach has one of the greatest rock voices. I mean, I don't know. People are probably just going to think this is the most ridiculous statement, but I think his voice is on par with like Freddie Mercury or a Chris Cornell or someone with just a really respectful amazing vocal gift. I mean, his voice is impressive. There was a video that I watched. Uh, bef- so before he was a rock star, he was a choir boy. And he was like... From Canada. Thanks, Canada. So he, he was, I think, the lead soprano in the boys choir right so he uh, you know I mean he could sing and he I mean he also knows it like (laughs) he is not at all shy (laughs) or modest no he's like I look good I sound good and I can do whatever I want which actually caused a lot of problems in the band it did he was the bad boy in the band and the rest of the band members really weren't like they were a little older a little more mature they wrote the music. They were the ones looking for a lead singer. They were an established band. He joined the band when he was 19 years old and they ended up firing him in 1996. But it was after a long history of problematic behavior. Uh, Including throwing a bottle at a 17-year-old girl at one of his shows and causing excessive damage. Oh my God, it was so sad. They were opening for Aerosmith and someone threw a bottle on stage and he was pissed which I get it. Someone threw a bottle at him. But in that moment, he was so pissed. He took the bottle and he chucked it back and he hit that girl and he really hurt her. She needed 145 stitches in her face. Right. Like that's troubling. He ended up in a $500,000 settlement with that girl's family. Which is honestly remarkably low by modern day standards. Like even if you adjust for inflation, right? Like it's <laughs> What's the inflation rate. Let's do some math. It's still, I feel like if that something like that happened now, like somebody would get 125 stitches is a lot of stitches. On your face. On your face. And you're 17. I, you know, I heard some reports that the girl was 14. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. It's just, right. you know, I, I was thinking of you at like 13 at this concert, right? This is what goes through what my head. What that would have happened to you? Who's letting a 14-year-old go to a Skid Row concert? And then I was like, oh. That was me. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I was actually 13. And like, like very new 13. I mean, you were on the lawn. You weren't close I enough. I was not. Yeah, there were no mosh pits near where I was. There was a lot of weed, but there was no much. Always on a lawn. (laughs) This is what you can come to expect from a lawn. That wasn't all that he's done. He was just kind of rowdy and problematic. And like he left some horrible voicemail for Dave Sabo. Dave Sabo, yeah. Like horrible voicemail. And like guy's mom was able to hear it. And but then he also, and like we're not even gonna say what the t-shirt said because it's really it's so offensive. Like Mm -hmm. if you wanna read about Sebastian Bach's t-shirt controversy, you can easily find it online. And I don't know, did he apologize for that? Because he owes a lot of people an apology. Supposedly. A fan gave him a shirt. He didn't even look at what it said and he put it on. 
I don't buy that because the band member, one of his band members was like, dude, don't wear that shirt. Exactly. And I heard that he went on to wear it another time for a photo shoot. So it's like, obviously you're not going to put on a shirt and never look at what it says, but it was very, very offensive. And he wore it just kind of as an F you. I just think he was just so angry. He just wanted to give a big F you to everybody all the time. Right. I'm not sure what exactly he had to be angry about because it sounds like he was like a private school kid and like, yeah. I think he just thought I'm a rock and roll person with all of this talent. I have all of this money and everything is in excess and I can have whatever I want and do whatever I want. And I'm I was going to say I'm surrounded by yes men, but he actually wasn't. His band had enough problems. He caused problems between Sabo and his longtime childhood friend, Bon Jovi. I mean, it just got so bad that they had to fire him in 96. They just said, we're done. Yeah. And, you know, I I don't excuse any of his behavior because I was 19 once and I knew not to throw bottles at people's faces or wear offensive t-shirts. But I will also say that I think people go a little bit crazy when they're young. I mean, people who aren't young go a little bit crazy when they suddenly have a lot of fame and a lot of money and a lot of power. Like uh, he talks in one interview about how he told like 80,000 people to stand up and they did. And he was like, whoa. <laughs> so we have one more song. We, do. we have to talk about the anthem of our youth, Youth Gone Wild. Sebastian has a Youth Gone Wild tattoo on his forearm. Did you spot that? Is that what that says? I, I, they kept flashing it and I couldn't read mm-hmm. it. Youth Gone Wild actually ended up 99 on the Billboard Top 100. Oh, it just snuck in. It did. I actually thought it was maybe more popular than that. You know what I've realized as we've been doing this is that what I thought in my mind was like where something was on the Billboard charts was actually where it was in the top 20 music video countdown. Ah, (laughs) yes, that actually makes a lot of sense. So there were things that I was like, no, that was definitely number one. And I'm like, on MTV. Not necessarily in terms of like radio play or even album sales. Right. Okay, this video, we open with someone throwing an electric guitar at a TV with like leather fingerless glove hands, right? right? They're kind of like those Madonna tight gloves and there's you know hands banging on a block wall we see some shots of the band on stage and there's scenes of like kids running through the streets with like jeans and flannels and boots and the crowd just keeps getting bigger and bigger like as if to say this movement is growing this is a grassroots movement of our youth they are all beginning to join in in the rebellion of what it means to be youth gone wild right what is the chorus of the song i have it right here would you like to hear it They call us problem child. We spend our lives on trial. We walk an endless endless mile. We are the youth gone wild. We stand and we won't fall. We're one and one for all. The writing's on the wall. I was thinking this sounded a lot like Pink Floyd's to me. and, And you can see the connection here. Yeah. As I was watching this, I had an interesting thought. When we were kids, I feel like there was a certain level of mischief that was somewhat expected and allowed amongst teenagers, right? Like we sort of, uh, not you, (laughs) but... I was the exception that proved the rule. Thank you very much. But there was sort of some wildness there. And I just wonder, like, is that still... It's hard for me to imagine that now with like how like kids have very structured activities and there's just, I think, a lot more adult supervision in the life of many young people today. 
When you think about the teens of today, they're raised by the Gen Xers and maybe the oldest millennials, right? Who maybe knew. Yeah, I I don't know that there's a lot of space or time to be running amok anymore. I don't know. We can track our kids now on Life 360. So maybe that has something to do with it. Like if my kid was busy running on train tracks, I think I'd know. Yeah, it's true. Like we, and maybe that's what I'm thinking. Like we didn't have cell phones. So your parent, like your parents had to kind of know where you were. And it was easy enough to be like, oh yeah, we decided to like go to Denny's. Yeah. Because even when like pagers became a really big thing when we were in high school, I didn't get one. I didn't want one. Everyone wanted one. I didn't because I didn't want to be that accessible. This though, to me, was the beauty of the pager. So one of our friends uh, got a pager and she was very upset because her parents were overprotective, like not actually overprotective, like probably appropriately protective. Uh, But to us, it felt overprotective. And she was like, oh, they put me on a pager. And I was like, no, 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 this is genius. When I go someplace, I have to tell my dad, hey, I'm going to be at so-and-so's house. This is the phone number. Right. If I had a pager, I could just be like, oh, we, you know, we're going to so-and-so's house, but I'm not sure we might go someplace else after that. Just page me. If you need me, I will call you back. Right. I feel like that gave you so much freedom. So no, it's for parents that want to know where their kids are. We see these kids running through like train tracks and all of this. And I, not to like take us out of the video, but I always think when I see people running in movies, TV shows, music videos, those poor actors, if I had to run for anything on film, I would be the one person who couldn't keep up. I'd probably get fired. Or they'd have to have a double for you. Like, I think it's Gina Davis in A League of Their Own. She had to have a running double. Oh my God, that would be me. (laughs) So if you watch that movie... Whenever she's running, you like really only see her from like the chest up. I am not a runner. It's not what I do. Yeah. So the kids are running. The group is getting larger. And this is, you know, the anthem for misunderstood youth. And when you were a kid, though, did you see it as that? Or were you just into the song and into the hook and not really paying attention to what the song was saying? No, I think I, I think I felt like a misunderstood youth. So I think I felt like it was a bit of an anthem and like, yeah, because the kids at one point, like they run past a college and they run past a businessman. And these are the two people of, I guess, authority that we're supposed to say, I'm not interested in what you're selling. I'm not buying into your rules. I'm going my own way. Right. And I think that I like I did not live a particularly traditional life. And so I think I resonated with that message. It felt like it was speaking to me. We can trace it right back to this album. Just to Skid Row. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Steve, be careful what concert you let your 13-year-old daughters go to. (laughs) (laughs) Those new kids, kids are doing all right. That's all I have to say. Are they though? (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Are they? So in between the kids running on the streets and being reckless, crazy youth, we see the band like kind of in a stage setting and there's a lot of like Sebastian Bach on his knees and total like rock star moves. And did you notice he was sort of flipping off the camera with his index finger and middle fingers together? It was like, it was like he wanted to just use his middle finger, but there was a lot of this. At the oh, I didn't notice that. I think it was a big like F you move. That was still broadcast friendly. Yes, it was still like MTV. <laughs> okay yeah and the guitar player was in his 
in a sleeveless jean jacket. And I was like, wow, I haven't seen one of those in a really long time. At some point, the kids are climbing a chain link fence. They're banging on a door. And as all hooligans did back in the day, there's always the climbing of the chain link fence. And the banging on a door or a wall. Yes. (laughs) And at the um, Wembley performance, well, he tells us after this song, I'm going to go backstage. I'm going to smoke a big joint, drink Jack and Coke and come back and watch Mother and Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was our Sebastian. Only to turn up years later on the feel good hit show Gilmore Girls. Oh my God. <laughs> so, well, before he did Gilmore Girls, which we have to talk about, because it's just so good. He did do his Broadway stint in Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. And he sounded amazing. And then he went on to do Jesus Christ Superstar and Rocky Horror Picture Show. Right, right. And I mean, Jesus Christ Superstar, like, yeah, you can see like him being in the title role. (laughs) Oh my God. I love Jesus Christ Superstar so much. Are you familiar with it? I am. You know the music? I do. It is one of my favorite musicals of all time. It's pretty great. It's so great. The movie's great, which I don't always feel that way about musicals made into movies, but the movie's great. The live production's great. I actually saw a production with uh, Irene Cara, who was in Fame. She sang the title song. Fame. Fame. Yeah. Yeah. So he was a Broadway star. And he got the attention of Amy Sherman Palladino and her husband, Daniel, who were the writers for Gilmore Girls. And Daniel Palladino is a huge rock fan. And so they wanted a character to come on to in the character of Gil to play Lane Kim's guitarist for her band Hep Alien. It was really funny because I watched Gilmore Girls really late. Yeah. And it was a show that I started watching maybe I want to say like two years ago while I was trying to start a regimen on (laughs) my treadmill. I will binge a show that I only get to watch if I'm on the treadmill. So it has to be a show that captures my attention that I really want to watch episodes of and I don't get to watch it in my free time. So I will look forward to exercising because I want to watch the show so bad. And the show ran for a long time. So that show was keeping me on the treadmill for a while. And all of a sudden we get to this episode where Sebastian Bach shows up and I was like, no, I had no idea. I'm sure that was out, you know, in the world, people were talking about it at the time, but I totally missed it because I was just not. We weren't really the target demographic for Gilmore Girls. So we saw it later. And I, for whatever reason, when I'm going through a very stressful and challenging time, that show brings me great peace. <laughs> That's your comfort <laughs> food my show. Comfort like show. for me, it's friends. Um, for you, it's Gilmore Girls. It is. It's something about the cadence of the show and the way they talk really fast and over each other. And, and it's just kind of fluffy and enjoyable. That's actually the thing that I find the most hectic about that show, which is why it could never be my comfort food show. Yeah. But what's funny is that I knew that that character was like some rock star from my youth. I didn't know it was Sebastian Oh, really? I knew it was somebody famous. And like at that point, like all of the hair bands kind of blended together. And I was like, into one giant hair band. Who was that? And so I, and I didn't really spend a lot of energy on it, but I did enjoy his character. I mean, it's funny, right? Like this like family dude uh, who's like hanging out. This family dude that just wants so bad to play. Right. Right. And he doesn't care if he's playing with kids that are, you know, 20 years younger than him. It doesn't matter. We're here to rock. 
Right. And I mean, it, it, it was, was charming. A, it was a funny plot twist. Their touring van actually was a real van that belonged to Mr. Bob. Yeah, like his delivery van for sub sandwiches. I mean, you have to be a little bit of a good sport about like where you are in life as a former like rock star to be like, sure, I'll go on this show. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he was also paid generously for it. <laughs> and I think too, it's sort of a, hey, I don't take it all too seriously. I'm sort of in on the joke. I can laugh at it and I'm having fun. And it, and it's right. a it's a great transition into being on the screen. So he had done music. He had lived just an entire life as a rock star, a, a rock star's lifetime. Then to go on and be a theater person, and then to have the opportunity to do television, that's a dream, right? Right. I mean, why not? I want to believe, despite the actions of his youth, that he kind of grew up into a reasonable person. And I don't know if that's true because it sounds like there's still a lot of animosity between him and the old band that like he plays live sometimes and like invited the old band to come and they're like, Psh no um, so I don't maybe he, but but like I want him to be like a good guy if you look at interviews of him now he's quirky and fun I don't know that I could be married to that personality it's kind of a lot but he's kind of got like the dad jokes and his view of the world is really sort of charming I'm charmed by him still I mean, he is totally right smack dab in the middle of my dating demographic. Like he is the age of the men that I <laughs> date. You, okay, would you date him? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, like, would I go on a date with him? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was super into you when I was 13. Is he married? If he's married, he no. He is. He's married. But like... Theoretically. Theoretically. If he was single and you ran right. into... Famous people are on dating apps all the time. I see it all the time. Not because I'm on dating apps, but I see it written about. Would you date him? You'd go on a date. I'd go on an, a date to like learn more about where he is in life right now my guess is that for the pod you do it for the pod I would I would uh <laughs> my guess is that we're probably not ultimately hugely compatible but we don't have to marry everybody not everybody <laughs> so yes I feel like this was a really fun podcast to do I just thoroughly enjoyed revisiting Skid Row I have fond memories of Skid Row as do I you know they went on to make a few more albums after this one but none of them achieved the success you know this because we were 13 when this came out I had my 13 year old listen to these three singles because I oh. wanted to get a feel for what he thought now he's largely into rap music so this is not his genre, genre. <laughs> at all so I want to you know be fair in that regard but he does love some classic rock so I thought okay this is different but like maybe not so different and so I played him and he was he was moving his head to the music. Wow, that guy can really scream. And I said, yeah, he can. I don't think he was really listening to the lyrics, but he was grooving to the music. I think he appreciated it. I don't think he added it to his Spotify, but <laughs> he didn't hate it. And so I thought, I mean, yeah, that's good. It transcends. That's, a, that's practically an endorsement. I didn't hate right? it. <laughs> if you're not asking me to turn it off. Right. A 13-year-old boy not hating something In that his mother is having him listen At to. At a time when we're all hating everything. Yeah, right. he was just It's a good like, sign. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Oh, Sebastian, will there ever be cheekbones like yours again? <sighs> Literally, I would not have picked him out of bed for eating crackers. And that says a lot because <laughs> I don't like crackers in the bed. But Sebastian Bach, I'd let it go. Oh, and his sub shack subs. <laughs> right. 
Thanks so much for joining us. If you can't wait to hear more, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. And because we're newbies in this space, if you'd leave us a rating and review wherever you listen, it would mean everything. You can find us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook at the Untitled Gen X Podcast. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Bye.